Hello and welcome to St. Paul's United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew and it's great to have you with us. Our church is located at 531 West Main Street in Cherokee, Iowa. And if you want to check us out in person, we have worship services at 930 in the morning. We, uh, you, you can also check us out on our website at www.cherokeemethodist.com. There you can find newsletters, the most recent bulletin, and just learn about things that are going on in the church. Now today we are concluding our summer sermon series on the minor prophets. These are those small prophetic books at the end of the Old Testament, oftentimes overlooked or ignored, simply because they're small, they're obscure, and hard to understand. They're also not the most uplifting books in the Bible to read. Now, though these books are short, they are varying lengths. Uh, Last week's book, Joel, had three chapters. Amos has nine. Uh, However, the chapters are still pretty short, and I think you could still read it pretty quickly. Now, we don't really know much about any of these minor prophets as individuals, as people, but we do know that Amos was a shepherd in the southern kingdom of Judah who ended up becoming a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. And the book starts off with judgment oracles or curses against other nations, particularly enemy nations who had caused them harm in the past. In fact, one and a half, the first one and a half chapters are devoted to this. I mean, you can just imagine the people cheering like at a pep rally where the home team says what they're going to do to the opposition. That's kind of what Amos is doing. But then after... Uh, chapter and a half, he turns the tables on them by giving curses against them because they are also sinners. You know, prophets are, they're like God-ordained party poopers, you know. People are having a good time and then he sticks it to them, which is the whole point. Now, what is the reason for this? What is their sin? Well, he mentions their sin of following other gods, but More than anything else, he emphasizes their sin of their treatment of the poor and the oppressed. His oracles were directed at the ruling class because they are the ones with the power to do something about it. And they're the ones who created the problem in the first place. You know, in the Bible, you're going to be really hard-pressed to find much support for the idea of blaming the powerless for their own plight. Responsibility rests with those in power. Amos's oracles mainly condemned the ruling classes for their oppressive treatment of the poor and needy members of society. And he goes into quite a bit of detail, stating that they oppress the innocent, they take bribes, and they deprive the poor of justice in the courts. In other words, they have an unjust legal system. And after naming these things, Amos implores them to repent. Now, repentance for Amos means hating what is evil, loving good, and maintaining justice in the courts, the opposite of what they were doing. You see, repentance for Amos is not about getting back to church and holding a bunch of revival meetings. It's about caring for the least and the oppressed in society. And worship and revival meetings, they only were, they're only worth something if it results in fairness and equity for all people. I mean, everything was about social justice for Amos and many of the other prophets. I want to read for you a little bit more detail from chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. It says, Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, 
When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat, skimping on the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the feet? Wow. It's all about oppressing the poor for economic gain. It's a reminder to us that when the economy is seen as a greater indicator of the health of a kingdom than the well-being of the people in that kingdom, you know that kingdom is abandoning God. That's why it says in Amos that God hates their worship and their festivities. It's because they don't care about others. The message to his people is this. If you aren't going to care for the least in your society, don't bother coming to church. Ouch. That's a shocking message to deliver, but that's what they did. They routinely made those in the ruling class angry. Same is true for Amos. Some people spoke against Amos for what they considered his unpatriotic messages. This happened to Jeremiah, and it's happened to a number of prophets. People would have the mentality of, kind of like, if you don't like it, you can leave. See, they didn't consider it patriotic for him to say that Israel is not the greatest nation on earth or for him to say that they were abandoning God because of how they treated others. The prophets were, well, they, were, they suffered for it, but they would continue with their message nonetheless. And then they are warned against God's judgment coming in the form of an invading army. There are disturbing passages in Amos that describe total destruction. And the invading army did come, but not with total destruction, no. And I mean, in a way it was. Their kingdom was brought to an end, but some survived in exile. And Amos ends with the word of hope that the people would not be utterly destroyed, but that a remnant, a small group, would return and the land would be restored. All right, so what does Amos have for us today? Well, I think that of all the things in Amos, the biggest takeaway is that those who believe social justice should not be a concern of the church are just ill-informed. Amos is not the only one to place, or I should say that again, Amos is not the only place where social justice is mentioned. There are many prophetic books. Jesus himself, it's the theme of his ministry. In Matthew 25, when we have the picture of him separating the sheep from the goats, the good from the bad, for heaven or hell, the criteria that's used in that story is not what they believed. It's how others were treated. Now, I'm not negating the importance of beliefs. Our theology does matter because it can determine if God is a moral monster or a loving father. But as important as beliefs may be, how we treat others and how we care for the least of these seems to be more important. I mean, what does it mean for a nation to be godly? That, it's a really complicated question. It's hard to answer. But I think we can tell that caring for the least of these, including the poor and the oppressed, seems to be the number one priority for Amos. Sometimes people debate about whether this should be the job of the church versus the state. But for Amos, no distinction can be made. Both are responsible. In fact, any persons or institutions with the power and resources to do so are responsible. Caring for the least of these is a huge part of what it means to lead a society biblically. Now, on a more local level, the same is true for the local church and the individual. 
We must seek the welfare of all people, whether they are part of our church or not, and whether they are like us or not. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, believed this wholeheartedly, which is why he visited those in prison, uh, cared for the sick, helped the poor, gave money to charity. In fact, he is known as giving up his haircuts and giving the money he would have spent to the poor. Now, John Wesley wasn't a saint, but he knew the biblical imperative to care for the least. And we've come a long way in the world in these matters, but there's still much work to be done. So let us do the work that God has called us to do so that justice may roll down like waters and righteousness, which is another word for justice, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amen. God bless and have a great day.